The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to see you here today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're going to jump back in. I don't know, do you ever feel like things have just come off the rail? Doesn't matter, doesn't matter how hard you work, it just seems like nothing you do turns out the way you had anticipated. And you can just kind of be working and going after it. Go, man, what in the world is going on? It can kind of leave you discouraged um, and feeling overwhelmed. And so <clears throat> a lot of you know this last uh, May, I, I talked about it. If you were here, I talked about putting in a garden. I've never put in a garden before, okay? So um, this year I've put in food plots and a garden. Man, I've done, I feel like a farmer, okay? And I got way in over my head of this garden. It's too big, okay? Like it's way too big. And so like I got the boys over there um, and, and, and Abby was out of town. And man, we, we had the place all, like I had it tilled up and ready to go. And, and we just started planting. And we planted row after row after row. We got all kinds of corn and okra and watermelons and squash and cucumbers and radishes. Man, and we were just planting, planting, planting. All right, and the stuff came up, okay? And then we went on vacation. <laughs> and I got back and the thing is full of grass, man. Like there's grass everywhere. I was like, how, like I sprayed this thing. And so I've learned, like, um, I didn't know this, but when you plant, like, when you work ground, like, seed can be in the ground for a hundred years. And then all of a sudden, just when you turn the ground over, it can just poof. And, and stuff that hadn't been active in, in forever can all of a sudden become active. And so the grass, man, it was like, man, this is good fertilizer, good sunlight, good water. And so the thing was covered in grass. So, man, I, I, I just started working on it. And, and the Lord has been, man, th- this garden thing, I used to get so mad at my dad. He had a big garden. And I was like, what kind of crazy person works all day and then comes home and works in the garden? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It just drive me crazy because he would make me go out there and, and do some of it. And I just did not like it. But now I like it. <laughs> I get out there, man, and it just clears my head. And the Lord has started speaking to me, man. He starts saying stuff to me. And, and one of the things, like, he's really um, spoke to me this week as I was working there in the garden, just, like, starting to pull up this grass, you know. I ran the tiller to get some of it. Some of it, you just you have to work on it. You just have to pull it up. There's nothing else you can do. So I'm out there pulling up the grass, and the Lord just started to speak to me about how in our lives, and even in ministry, in the ministry context, like this is what it's like for, for the believers is that we start to grow, but there's all these weeds around us. And that's our job is to sort of focus on the weeds. Don't focus on, like I'm not out there like focusing on the plant that much other than giving it a little water, you know. I'm focusing on the weeds. I'm trying to get the weeds out of the garden because the weeds, weeds are going to steal what the plant needs in order to produce the fruit. And so I'm out there just kind of pulling the weeds and dealing, on, dealing with the stuff around it like is going to hurt the, the plant from producing what it's already designed to produce. So I'm not spending much time so much on the actual vine of the cantaloupes 
or the squash or that stuff. I'm just working on like get these weeds out of here. And, and as I pull away, then they won't steal from the, the soil and, and that, that thing will just produce fruit. And so I, I, I was reminded <clears throat> is, that, is that the Lord was saying to me, man, like even in ministry, just keep focusing on the things that are obstacles to keep the fruit from growing in your life. Jimmy, don't get so focused on how many people you have to reach or how many people you're discipling. Like, look in the areas of your life that <clears throat> you see it's an obstacle and it's impeding the growth that I, I want to have that you know the Scripture teaches about and try to remove those things. And so that's, that was very encouraging to me. It was very encouraging to me to see that, that uh, sometimes, <clears throat> very often, things just feel that way. Like they feel like, man, it's overwhelming. Like I can't get ahead. And as we look in this story in Acts, uh, as we go to Acts chapter 8, man, we, we, we've seen some incredible stuff. And, and Shay did a great job like teaching us about um, some of the problems the church had. And they had this meeting and they, uh, the Hellenistic Jews weren't getting taken care of. And so what, what is a Hellenistic Jew? You got your Hellenistic Jew and your um, he, he break Jew and they, they sort of spoke different languages, uh, but they, they, they weren't the, like they viewed each other a little bit differently. Um, and, and so most of the Hebraic Jews lived in Jerusalem and the Hellenistic Jews had kind of scattered abroad and, and moved, moved away. But they had come back and the day of Pentecost happens, the spirit breaks out and those people, a lot of those people stay in Jerusalem. And so there was a problem. Their needs weren't being met because they weren't known as well. And so they appointed some Hellenistic leaders, and Stephen was one of them. And we learned, man, Stephen comes in. He's a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, man, like, he's proclaiming the truth, and he gets killed. Okay? So, like, that's bad for the church, man. The church is, they're, they're fired up. They've seen movement. They've, they've seen um, how the Lord has been breaking in and giving them movement in the kingdom. And so now all of a sudden they're forced to deal with the death of someone that they don't understand. And that happens sometimes in the church. Somebody just, like, they're taken away. And we don't understand that. Like, I'm reminded of, of, of our brother Bob. Amy, Amy, you're here today. And I, I still don't understand that. Like, we're, Bob, we're, we're taking him through and he's getting disciples. He's getting movement. And, and now Bob is gone. And that, man, that hurt for us as a body of believers. Like, we're walking close with him. And that, when we look at Stephen, this is what happened to the church, except for he wasn't sick. He was literally stoned for holding up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you can just imagine, man, you can feel the weight of that as, as we imagine. A lot of times we read through these passages of Scripture and, and we just kind of go, we think these things just happen. Bam, 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 bam. And we, we, we kind of overlook, what were they thinking? What was going on, man? And they, they got all this movement, and they're trying to wrestle around, why did this happen? And that was hard for them. But things go from bad to worse, because it tells us that uh, Saul was there giving approval to his death. That's how verse 1 of chapter 8 starts. And so Saul was one of these guys who was up and coming, and, and he was against the movement of Jesus. And, and so, like, he gives approval of Stephen's death, and then it says, the very next verse, on that day. Everybody say, that day. Okay. On that day, it says, great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. 
on that day, things went from bad to worse. Like, it, it, felt like the, it felt like the train had come off the rails, but now, man, it's gone from bad to worse. Like, things, like a great persecution breaks out into the church. Okay, and so that, what does that mean? It means that there was severe opposition um, swayed and influenced by spiritual force of wickedness that was leading people who thought they were doing a service for God to come against what Jesus had actually said was going to happen in him building his church. And so all of them, it says, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that everybody that was a believer except those 12 left? No. Um, if you study the text and you understand what's going on here, is the Hellenistic Jews, they left. Because they were the ones that were targeted. Now, I'm sure some other Jews went as well, but for the large part, this is what it's referring to. And the apostles and the Hebraic Jews stayed there in Jerusalem. And there was a church, there was active ministry still going on in Jerusalem. But all of these people that had descended upon it at Pentecost, now they were like leaving. Why were they leaving? Because they were the targets. And it says that um, uh, godly men buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. And so they go through this process of mourning and, and, and caring for Stephen. But then it says, but Saul, again, on that day, Saul began to destroy the church. That is strong. Now, just think about what that would feel like. For, like we, we have opposition and there are people that, that, that come against the work of the kingdom. But we don't literally have somebody running around trying to destroy this local fellowship of believers. Like they're doing everything they can to destroy our very existence as a movement. And that's what Saul did. And he had the clout. He had the power. He had the influence. He had the connection. He was being financed by the, the Pharisees and, and the Sanhedrin. They were making sure that he had everything that he needed in order to accomplish the destruction of the church. And it says that he was going from house to house and he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And what does that look like? So we, we just skip right over that. What it looks like is, is uh, I'm over at Jason and Stephanie's having dinner. And all of a sudden, somebody knocks on the door and they come in and they grab me by the hair of my head and drag me out of their house and put me in prison. That's what it looked like for them. And it terrified them. And so what, they didn't know what to do. And so they, they scattered and they, they fleed. And so what I want us to see is that, that sometimes, like we can see as we're learning things from the Word, we can see that things go from bad to worse. And, and, and where the Lord really started hitting me, I couldn't get away from this as I would just sit in the text all week long as on that day, on that day. And I wanted to be reminded in my mind that, that there are things that I go through that are a struggle and I, be, I need to remember that day. I need to remember that day that the church, things went from bad to worse for them and things felt like it was just falling completely apart and they had no idea what God was up to. And, and so Philip is one of these um, Hellenistic Jews. Uh, generally, when you look at a list of names, if it's not a genealogy, it's, it's in, in order of importance. Like in the apostles, it always lists the apostles. You know, there was Peter. Peter usually is listed first. And so when we look at this, these deacons in Acts chapter 7 that were set aside, these Hellenistic guys, we had Stephen. He was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, it says. And there was Philip. Okay, so this is not Philip the apostle. 
there was an apostle that was named Philip. But this is Philip that is a layman. He is one of the Hellenistic Jews. And so he is the second one listed. And what that tells us is that your church really looked up to Philip. They saw the Lord moving in the midst of Philip's life. And so Philip, we look at um, uh, Stephen and we see that he is the first one listed. He's very important. And what is he called to? Martyrdom. He's going to be murdered for his faith. And God is using that. Justin Martyr said that the church was founded like uh, on the, the, the seed of, of the blood of, of the martyrs. Like that's what made the church really move out and go and spread. And so that's, that's what take, takes place. And so what is Philip called into? Philip is called into, he's our first evangelist. There's never been an evangelist of the gospel. Like Billy Graham was an evangelist, okay? We can look, Billy Sunday was an evangelist. So we see these men that God raises up to use in a mighty way to preach the gospel and, and for people, masses to come into the kingdom. Well, Philip was the first one to be used in that capacity as an evangelist. And it says those who had been scattered, that, what did they do when they were scattered? This is very important for us. They preached the word wherever they went. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that they, they preached a sermon like I'm preaching right now. It's the word proclamation. It's the word that they were giving utterance and testifying to the gospel in their lives, that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. And so as that day approached and encountered, like the church impacted and the severe persecution went out, they were scattered. But what did they do? They went and they proclaimed the truth. And so that's a good lesson for us to see is that that is part of the function of a believer is to be out there proclaiming truth. Not, not just to be out there doing life, not just coming to church on Sunday. We gather on Sunday, we scatter on Monday. And, and that's what the church is to be about, gathering and scattering. We gather together to encourage one another. We scatter out and we try to reach people for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the church has always been doing. And if you're not doing it, you're not being an obedient Christian. Amen? Amen. Right? Like that's what the Lord calls us to do. And so, so they're going out and they're proclaiming the gospel. And it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and pre- proclaimed Christ there. Now, so for me, like I read through these things and I start to go, what, what, what was Philip thinking? Okay. Now, what is the big deal about Samaria? Well, Samaria is a place that they hated the Jewish people in Jerusalem, hated the Jewish people in Samaria. Why did they hate each other? Well, it dates back way back to the Babylonian captivity. And what um, some of these cities would do is they would come in and they would capture a, a, a place like Israel. And Israel had all of these different regions and and then they would take all of the people out, but they would leave some of them behind. And then they would put some people in there with them to intermingle and marry with them and water down the population. And so that's what happened in this area of Samaria. And so what we end up with is what was known and they were referred to as half-breed Jews. Okay, that, that's how it was. There was a, a visceral, very um, deep racism going on between these two groups. They couldn't stand each other. That, that they had a way, they would take a long way around if they needed to go to a certain place and Samaria was in the way, then the Jews who resided in Jerusalem, the full-blood Jews, would go all the way around Samaria because they felt that they were unclean. Remember the story in the Gospel of John chapter 4, Jesus went to the woman at the well, that was in Samaria. And it says that he must need, that he needed to go through Samaria. The apostles with him didn't want to go through Samaria. Like, what are we doing going through that God-forsaken place, God? That's what I thought that was funny. <laughs> so, uh, so, the, 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 we, so, so, so Jesus goes there and he ministers to the woman at the well. 
And what does he tell her? Like, they have a, an expectation of the Messiah. They're thinking the Messiah is going to come. <clears throat> he says, I am the Messiah. And so they, 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 we have this racism going on. So why in the world would Philip go there? I'll tell you why. One, it's a very practical thing to do because the Jews who were arresting people aren't going to Samaria, right? And so God is always, like, he's always working to move to get us to places that we, we need to be. So that's one thing, is a very practical and logical decision to go to a place where they're not going to look for you. The second thing, and I think probably primarily, is Philip was thinking and reminded of what Jesus said. What did Jesus say in his resurrected form when he met with them uh, before he ascended? He said, you shall be my witnesses, you shall receive power, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the other ends of the earth. Okay? And so he's like, maybe something's going on down there. Maybe I'm supposed to go down there. I really believe that's what Philip was doing. He's like, I feel a prompting from the Lord that I'm to go to Samaria. It would be safe for me. And the Lord said that we would go and be witnesses there. So I'm going to just see what's going on. So he goes down there. Now, what happens? Well, he goes down there and says when uh, he went down, he proclaimed the Christ there. And, and I just presume that he went down there and he started talking to people. And the next thing you know, he was talking about Jesus and telling them who he was and telling them that he had encountered the resurrected Christ. One thing led to another. And before you know it, he is actually witnessing a move of the Lord. And it says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And so Philip goes down there, man, and he, he's just like trying to listen to the Lord. And all of a sudden, the kingdom of God is moving in an incredible way. Everything has felt like it is off the rails on that day. But all of a sudden, now we have a revival breaking out in a city. Now, Luke does a fantastic job of giving us a historical account and contextually helping us understand what exactly was happening. Because he goes into this next story about this guy named Simon. And so he's wanting us to understand how bad things were in Samaria. Now, they were a religious group of people. They were a people who had a, a, a faith, if you will. They were a people who were easily influenced. And they were a people um, who were um, active spiritually. And so Philip has gone down there. And all of a sudden, as he's preaching Jesus, man, then, then the, the kingdom starts breaking out and evil has to start giving way. People who are crippled start getting healed. Like, like I, I don't know what it's like. I've never experienced a, 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 a demon leaving somebody and an evil shriek happening. But I imagine like people were looking at that, right? Like, can you, and so we go, what, why doesn't that happen as much today? That's because I don't think the devil has to work that way as much today. Because you have to understand that prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, the world was a very dark place. It was pretty much owned by Satan, okay? There, were, there, was, there was no God living in people. Like, there were special places and people that God would come in and he would reside and allow his power to descend upon them, like John the Baptist, like Moses, like Elijah, like others. But the Spirit didn't live in every person who was a person of faith in um, uh, the Judeo-God uh, uh, of the Bible in the Old Testament. He didn't do that. And that's why Jesus came to make a way so that he could, so that his presence no longer would be in the Ark of the Covenant, but that it would be in the heart of the believer. And so if you think about it and you go, okay, there's no churches for thousands of years. There's no spirit-filled believers for thousands of years. The, the world is a very dark and evil place. 
And so people could be swayed very easily with easy tactics. But now Jesus has come on the scene, and for three years he's been preaching the truth. The world has been flipped upside down. People are hearing things like they've never heard before. And now he says that the Holy Spirit will come after I'm crucified and become the, the Passover lamb for you. I will become the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So he does that, and the Holy Spirit comes, and now the evil's having to give way to truth. And so that's been going on for a long time. We live in America. We don't see a lot of people who are possessed by evil. But if you look at the things that are happening around us, the addictions that exist, the people who are strung out on meth and alcohol and so many other things, there is a spirit of, of confusion and evil behind that. And it, it gets people off. Okay, and so we do see the miraculous things happening and people coming um, to, to faith in Christ. I, I had a man one Easter, man, I was preaching the gospel. I was talking about um, uh, checking your baggage and, and did this whole sermon series. And, and, and a guy comes uh, forward and he checks a tag. And, and he tells me later that week that he literally came to church and he was high on meth. And he just felt God telling him to go to church. He drove by our church and he came in. And on that Sunday... Like, he quit using meth. He's been clean ever since, still clean today. I'm friends with him on Facebook and, and see what's going on in his life. And that is, that is a miracle of the Lord. That is a casting out during the proclamation of the word. Evil had to give way. And the only thing we can explain that for is that the Lord is with him and helped him overcome that addiction. And so something like really intense was going on during this time where people were literally it was controlling how their physical bodies would react and stuff. So it was, the, these spirits were giving way, man, as Philip proclaimed. And so there's, a, there's great joy erupting in the city. They're like, man, something is going on. Oh, Joe, you remember how crazy he was? He used to run around doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That guy was demon-possessed. Look at him now. He's in his right mind. And what is he talking about? Jesus. And so the movement is happening. And so Luke wants us to understand like a story in the midst of that. And so he says, For some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. Okay? So we have Simon the sorcerer. He's known as Simon Magus. He's known as one of the early church fathers of Gnostic, or early, not church fathers, but early um, founders of Gnosticism. Okay? And so when, this, when, he, when it says that, that Simon for some time in that city practiced sorcery, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean like Harry Potter stuff, okay? That's not what it means at all. So this word sorcery comes from the Greek word. Um, it has its root in, in uh, this, I can't pronounce it. It's magus, I believe. We get the word magi from it, the, the wise men. And so they were a group of men who were thinkers. They were smart. They were, they were uh, people who studied math. They studied astrology, okay? But Simon had mixed some of the thinking with some religion, and he was practicing a humanistic religion, a human-focused religion, and he was influencing the people. There was some forces and some ability that he had to do some things that they classified as magic. I don't know exactly what he do, is that he did, okay? But, but he influenced the people, and he had special powers. I tend to believe that there was a, a force of evil behind that, and he was being manipulated, and, and he was leading the people astray. Listen to what it says. It says, he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. 
Like he, he was either equating himself to God or equating himself to someone like John the Baptist. Okay, these people were looking for the Messiah. Remember the woman at the well that Jesus sat with and he said, we, she said, we know that the Messiah will come. They believed that the Messiah would come. He had taken and mixed some things, some truth with a bunch of lie and some wicked power. And he had a huge following. As a matter of fact, he was influencing the entire city. Okay, so we, we look here, we go, wow, man, that's crazy. This guy was influencing an entire city, and he was doing it by mixing truth and error. Now, it says that, uh, that they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But, verse 12 says, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So what happens, man? What happens is, is that as the, the scripture Luke has so eloquently done in giving us an opening statement that Philip is there preaching and, and people are coming to Christ, he's saying this is, this is a story and, and how that happened. And all these people, man, who had been following Simon and following that lie as they encountered truth, turned away from the lie and became followers of Jesus. And Simon saw the power of Philip and he recognized that it was a greater power than he possessed. And as he was looking at that, he even confessed Jesus and believed and was baptized. When the apostles, <laughs> back in Jerusalem, living in the area that doesn't care anything for Samaria, get wind that there are people in Samaria that are confessing Christ as Savior and Lord and Messiah. They get wind of that, so what do they do? It says that they sent Peter and John to them. Why did they do that? They wanted to see, is this really real? Is something going on? We need to check this out. We need to authenticate it. And when they arrived, they prayed for them, it says, that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And so the question might be asked is, well, is that how it works today? Do I need someone to lay hands on me and pray for me to receive the Holy Spirit? No, that's not how it works today. The, Spirit, or the Scripture um, clearly teaches us that if we do not possess the Spirit of Christ then we are not Christians. We do not belong to him. That's taught in the epistles. The apostle Paul teaches us that. So why, <clears throat> why does the spirit come later here? Well, think about it. Like The spirit comes later here because we got a group of people that have a deep set of racism toward a group of people down here. They don't like them and they don't like them. And how are we going to get these two groups together and follow each other? Well, we bring these, this group down who's the leaders who were handpicked by Jesus. They come down to investigate. They pray on them. The Holy Spirit breaks out and they begin to probably have an experience like uh, uh, the day of Pentecost speaking in tongues in other known languages. And they're like, okay, can't deny that. That's Jesus. Got Jesus written all over it. That's not human power. Okay. And so the apostles are able to go, man, look at that. The Lord is moving here. Guess what the Samaritans are able to do? Because the apostles are the ones who laid hands on them. They're able to go recognize the authority of the apostles and follow them. And now we have squelched racism. There's so much racism talk in our country today. There's so much, oh, racist this, racist that, racist the other. And we're going we're to come up with this plan. We're going to come up with that plan. You know what plan that will solve racism? People need to fall in love with Jesus. 
That's it. Like if you fall in love with Jesus, you understand spiritual family is created by one thing. It is created by the fact that, that, that people understand they're forgiven and the blood of Christ is the only thing that can make them whole. And so that solves racism. So that's, that's what solved it in this particular place. And, and so like uh, we look at that and we go, man, racism has been around forever. Uh, of course it has. And it will continue on. And we have to, uh, that's why the church is so important. It's so important that, that we be involved in making sure that that has no place, that there is no partiality uh, 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 for, for, for among people for us, whether it be uh, uh, people who are wealthy, people who are different skin color, people who are are poor. It doesn't matter. There is no, God is no respecter of persons, and we ought to be displaying that as, as his children on a daily basis. And so this is what happens. So they receive the Holy Spirit. Then what happens? Well, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them some cash. It says he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And we're gonna, we got something very interesting going on here. Simon confessed, Simon believed, Simon was baptized, and now Simon's trying to buy something that the apostles had. And Peter answers him, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will give you for, or forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. There's, like, there's a boldness that exists in Peter that needs to exist in us today. We need to quit being shy of letting people know that their heart does not belong to Jesus. That's how they figure out that their heart does not belong to Jesus. And we're so intimidated and so afraid of turning people off and being rejected by men that we won't tell the truth. And so that, like, that's really confusing for people. Now, I'm not saying go out and beat people up, but I am saying take advantage of opportunities when you can proclaim the truth and the Lord is at work in a situation. You have got to take advantage of that situation. What does Simon respond? He says that Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me, end quote. And then the story says that when they had testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So they make their way back, and they stop all along the way. I'm reminded of Jesus said, I must, I must go through Samaria. And so now you got two of Jesus' disciples doing what Jesus did. It all started as a result of that day that felt like the rails, like the wheels had come off. Everything was off the rails. It was, it was falling apart. Things had gone from bad to worse. But now we have two of Jesus' disciples walk, coming back from a revival that Philip was leading and preaching in villages and proclaiming the, the Lord on the way home and fulfilling what Jesus said would happen. You shall be my witnesses in Samaria. It's a very powerful thing. Uh, so, like, it's 1052. Three points and a big idea. <laughs> How are we going to get there? I'm going to make the observations quick, okay? What does this mean for us? Here's the first thing. Don't get down on that day. 
Like that day is coming. It comes for all of us. It comes for me. It will come and go. Sometimes it will feel like that and sometimes it won't. Sometimes you'll be on top of the mountain and sometimes you'll be in the valley. If you were always on top of the mountain, you would just be a spiritual addict and the only reason you would follow Jesus is because the way he made you feel. Okay? That's not what this thing is about. This thing is about being obedient to Jesus and worshiping and loving him because of who he is in spite of our circumstances, in spite of how difficult the journey is right now. And right now you may be in a place where it feels like things are falling apart. It is that day for you, and it is okay. Don't get too down. Keep looking up. Understand that the Lord is in the mix using it for good. Do you think they had any idea when Paul was given the authority to go from house to house and arrest people and he was dragging them out um, and, and arresting men and women going house to house? Do you think they had any idea that this was going to be the greatest theologian that the world had ever seen? They had no idea what was going on on that day. And so, like, that's what that day is like. During the midst of that day, they had no idea of how much the Lord's hand was moving. That day comes for all of us. It's not a bad thing. It just feels bad. Okay? It's not bad. It just feels bad. You haven't done anything to deserve it. It's a world we live in. Sometimes things just totally stink. Amen? They do. And that's okay because they will stretch us. You may be in a situation where you just feel like it's hopeless. It's okay. The Lord is at work. Keep your eyes on him and know that on that day he is doing some stuff. Don't get discouraged. He is in the mix because you are his child and he cares for you. Our duty is to weed the garden of our lives and don't get down. Now let me go back to my garden illustration and tell you how. Because I'm, I'm pretty much in control. I got a few rows of corn and okra. They still have a lot of grass in them, but I think they're up tall enough they're going to be okay. One day I went over there and worked, and I made a dent. Another day I went over there, and my wife and Jonah and, and Zoe came, and we made a little bit bigger dent. A couple of days ago, I went back, and the whole family came, and we hammered it. Like, there's seven of us out there. I said, you take that plant, you take that plant, you take that one, and man, the grasses, the weeds are coming out. Why do I say that? It's because in, on that day, when things feel that way, what do you need? Spiritual family to deal with all the weeds. You can never overcome all the weeds in your life by yourself if you're overwhelmed right now. And so being in a church, that's why the, the scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because when you're in spiritual family with one another, you can accomplish more in your life than you ever could by yourself. There are no, there are no Lone Ranger Christians. And that's why we're so committed to discipleship and seeing people getting together and, and, and helping each other. Because we can help weed out the things in our lives that are causing obstacles for the fruit to really grow. And we're, we're caring for the garden of our lives and caring for each other's garden and the kingdom begins to break out in us. So look for the kingdom to break out in you on that day. Phil went down to the garden of Samaria to see what the spirit was working on. And what he found that when he got there, the Lord used him and evil was fleeing. People were healing and great joy broke out in the city. And that's what happens when those Kairos moments take place for us. It's like, that's what happens. There were Kairos moments all over the place. And all that could happen is just great joy erupted in the city. On that day, the kingdom is moving. You just haven't seen it yet. Okay, here's the second takeaway. Spiritual delusion is real. 
That's, that's my second observation of the text. For some time, it says, Simon practiced sorcery in the city. The city, or the citizens, were amazed by the sorcery. The devil had a stronghold on Samaria. And Simon was even boasting that he was someone great, and all the people believed he was someone great. People high and low gave him attention and said he was divine and great, that something powerful from God was working in him. Spiritual delusion was at work. The greatest obstacle our community faces is spiritual delusion. Like my, where I lived back in Oklahoma, the people, like they were lost, okay? I, I get it, there were lost people and, and there was confusion, but there was not a spiritual delusion that was a stronghold on, on, on that city or that area like there is right here in our backyard. Like there is delusion that is real happening in this community. That's why I'm so committed to this ministry of the proclamation of truth, because we see that when the proclamation of truth and the Bible and the word of God and the message of God was handled with integrity, not compromising it, but presenting it for what it is, what happens? The stronghold gives way. But what does that tell us? It tells us that there is a very powerful stronghold in this city, and we have to be extremely committed, and that what the word, uh, what the Lord needs from you is proclamation of truth to your friends and neighbors and co-workers. Don't be soft. Like the, the Christianity is not nerf ball. Like it's not what it is at all. It's serious. And there's an expectation that we are, we are taking the mantle of the gospel and carrying it in to the Samarias of our lives. And they're all around us. And so what we have to understand is that, that as the, the, the spiritual delusion was at work and the truth was proclaimed, it broke through, people believed and were baptized, even Simon was amazed. And that's what we need is proclamation of truth. Here's the third observation before we get to the big idea. Belief doesn't make you a believer. Like that, See, the spiritual delusion really jacks people up, but belief doesn't make you a believer. What in the world does that mean? Well, Simon believed in the power and professed Jesus, but he did not know him. It was obvious. Peter called him out on it, said, your heart is filled with me. This is a guy who says he believes, has been baptized, but is called wicked and says, your heart is captive to sin by the apostle Peter. What does that tell us? It tells us that you can believe and not be a believer. Uh, the, uh, James, he tells us um, in his epistle, the half-brother of Jesus, what does he say? He says, you believe, you do well. Even the demons in hell believe. What does he say? He says, There's a transformation that must take place in order for you to become a believer. So he did not know him. He did not know him in an intimate way. He did not know Jesus. He did not know the lamb crucified. The book of, 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 of Colossians teaches us that the, the gospel, he says, I'm so thankful that the gospel was bearing fruit in you uh, since the time you received it and you understood the gospel in all its grace and truth. You comprehended it. And when you comprehended it, it shifted you. There were people there in Samaria who were comprehending it and they were being transformed and they knew Jesus. 
There were people there who were professing and saying they believed, but they didn't know nothing about Jesus. They did not know him intimately. They did not become a child of God. They were not born again. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 16, you must be born again, or, or for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he wraps that all around, what? A spiritual birth. So it is more than just saying, I believe that Jesus was God. It is more than just saying, um, I, I confess that Jesus is is God. What is it? It is about the heart. And we see that in Simon. He tried to buy the gift of God through human means. So what would that look like for us? Does it look like, okay, I'm going to give so much and then I'm going to be right with God? It could look that way. Some people might try to buy their way into heaven. It could be that you're just trying to serve your way into heaven. I'm going to make sure that I go to church every week. I'm going to make sure that I read my Bible all the time. I'm going to make sure that I do A, B, C, and D. And that's a human effort. Now, should you do all those things? Absolutely. But you should do all of those things because you have spiritually been awakened and born again and you have a hunger for the word. And you're not trying to do those things to please God. You realize you're already pleasing to God. Why? Because you have his son. And when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. You are a born again, new creature in Christ. And so we look at that and he says, what does he say to them? Pete says, may, your, may you and your money perish. That kind of thinking, that kind of religion. What is religion? Religion is human effort to please God. That's what religion is. Anytime we're looking at human effort and saying, this is how we please God. No, we, there's only one way to please God. Receive his son. Like that's, there's only one way to produce fruit is that when the sun is producing the fruit in you because you're remaining in the sun. And so that cannot be human effort. So he says, you, 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 may you and your money perish. You have no part because of your heart. That's what he says to him. You're captive to sin. The, the weeds of your life are all that you care about. You don't care about the vine and the fruit. You care about the weeds and all the stuff around you, Okay. And so you just want more of it. You see the power. And what Simon said is, I got to get me some of that. I need some of that power. I can, I can do some powerful stuff. I can influence people, but I cannot do what Peter and John just did. And so he says, I got to have some of that. And so he was looking at the kingdom for what the kingdom could do for him instead of what he could do for the kingdom, right? And so like we, we see this, we go, man, what, what is the response? And here's how we know he doesn't know Jesus. What does he say? Pray for me so that what you have said will not happen. He did not comprehend grace and truth. When you understand grace and truth and your identity, like you understand really who Jesus is, you don't look at the person across from you and say, pray for me. You fall to your knees in brokenness, realizing you have no right to stand before God. If he really would have been a person who was born again, when he heard that, he would have been crushed and wept over his sin. But he says, Peter, pray for me, because he was afraid of what? That everything he had would be lost. So he's saying, pray for me that what you're saying won't happen, that I won't perish. And so what do we learn? We learn that, man, only you can pray a prayer from your heart because it is your heart. So what is the big idea? The kingdom moves when we are uncomfortable. That's the big idea. We don't like discomfort, but it's good for us because it always equals movement in the kingdom. 
That's why we try to challenge you. That's why the sermon sometimes will get you wiggling around and uncomfortable. Why? Because we're to see, not because we're trying to offend anybody. We're trying to deliver the truth and keep you in an uncomfortable place. Why? So that the kingdom will move. Now, you heard a lot about my illustrations, but that's the, that's the, that's the cost of letting me have a, a couple weeks off. I got a lot of stories. So you know that I've had knee trouble. <laughs> so um, I, I, I partially tore my ACL about 18 months ago. So I went to the doctor. He took an x-ray. He did a physical exam. He said, I think you're going to be okay. Six weeks, no basketball. They're going to fit you with a brace. Wear your brace when you're doing any kind of activity like that. When you're out um, doing some walking, you need to wear this brace, so on and so forth. So I said, okay, doc. So I was thankful because hunting season was coming up. And I didn't have to have surgery. So I go on, man, and, and, and then my knees, like, got this pain in it. Um, but I'm, I'm trusting the doc, right? And so time goes on, time goes on. And, and now we're at a year later, and, and, and it was still bothering me, okay? It's still uncomfortable. And, and now it's been a year and a half, and, like, it, it's hurting right now. Um, that's why I move around a lot, Okay. Like, when I stand in one spot, it just bothers me. When I'm sitting, it hurts, okay? And so finally, why am I sharing this story with you? Finally, I got uncomfortable enough that I started to realize, I don't feel good. I don't want to go do anything. I don't want to get out of this chair. And I said, why do I feel this way? I'm not a lazy person. And it dawned on me that as I thought about my facial expression in that moment, I'm, I'm not feeling good. I got something wrong. I'm uncomfortable. So guess what I did? I called the doctor and made an appointment. He took an x-ray. He said, we can't see anything. Then he sent me in for an MRI. I went in for the MRI last Friday. And thanks to the good Dr. Abraham, who's a radiologist, I've already had the MRI read personally. Okay, I don't know if you knew we had a resident doctor. Uh, and so... We're looking at it, and he's like, oh, it's, in, you know, hey, Jimmy, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so he proceeds to tell me that I have a very interesting case, and guess what I have? A cyclops lesion. <laughs> I've got a cyclops in my knee, man. And so it, fortunately, this is not a big deal. Go in orthoscopically, hopefully trim that out. And, and, and it, it comes with a lot of different kinds of pain, you know? And so uh, I can't wait to go back to see the, the surgeon and hopefully get this done really quick. And so what's the big idea? The, the, again, when we're uncomfortable, the kingdom moves, just like I moved in that situation. And what we have to do is avoid the comfortable and co cozy, and you will see the kingdom move. And so my question for you this morning as Corey begins to play is what is your cyclops? Like, what is going on around your life that you need to look at and go, why am I letting that stay there? Like, this is not good. This, this is causing me discomfort in my life. I keep letting it stay. I keep holding it on to it. And I just need to pull that thing out and give it to the Lord and let it die. That's the great thing about those weeds, man. They just burn up and die. And so as we take just a couple of moments before we receive the offering and you reflect on, on this, this word today, Ask the Lord, like if you don't know, ask him to show you the cyclops in your life 
that is, that is, that is keeping the kingdom from moving. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.